Welcome to the Transitional Wisdom Podcast, where we talk about all things transition and life from different perspectives. I have a very special guest today. I'd like to welcome Dana to the podcast. Welcome, Dana. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, as Cody mentioned, my name's Dana. I'm 28 years old. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I currently live in Boston, Massachusetts, where it is cold and snowy. Um, originally from northern Nevada, the Reno area. Um, and I've lived in Boston for about five years. Uh, I identify as a trans guy, um, unlabeled on sexual orientation related stuff, um, but I have been dating cis men um, now for a little while. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to be here um, and just kind of talk about experience. Uh, so thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to I wanna take your intro as an opportunity to <laughs> immediately ask you a question. <laughs> so can you share with us any of your experiences with dating cis men? Because I know that that is a question or something that a lot of uh, trans guys tend to struggle with. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, how you navigate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like prior to transitioning, I only dated cis men, um, you know, kind of pigeonholed into the heterosexual female kind of identity. Um, when I first like came out and started transitioning, I didn't date anyone for like five years. Um, just was kind of more interested in figuring out the gender piece um, and not trying to figure out sexual orientation at the same time. Um, and then I, I saw something at one point, like I kind of along the way realized I was having attractions to like many different people. And I saw something that I really liked at one point that said like um, experience attraction freely and worry about labels later. Um, and that just like really resonated with me. Um, and I think was very freeing because uh, I, I, I still had like the misconception that like as a trans guy, it was, I had to be like attracted to females, like, you okay. know, or like femme folks, um, just because that's kind of the only perspective that I had like heard at the time when I was coming out. Um, so when I moved to Boston, you know, there were still a couple of years that I wasn't dating. And then I kind of, um, I actually, I, I also like another hat I wear is I work in like public health, like trans related research. And I was working on a project specific with like trans, like, like gay identified folks um, okay. who were like playing with cis guys. And so that was kind of like a, whoa, like blew my mind. Like that can actually happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I kind of, uh, when I started dating again, you know, as everybody does now, it seems like I started kind of using OkCupid and just kind of online. Um, and for me, it was, there was a lot of like back and forth on whether or not I should like put on the profile, like that I identify as trans, um, just cause I just, I wasn't sure how it was going to be 
received, but ultimately I decided to do so because I was like, that's kind of an important thing um, yeah. that you should know from the get-go. And like, if you're not cool with that from the start, then I don't even like want to waste my time. Um, so I did that. I, you know, I'm not one who like prolific, like, like dates a lot of people. Um, so I went on a number of dates and like with varying success, you could tell there was some awkwardness for folks. Um, but then I, um, started dating a guy about like, I don't know, 15, 16 months ago or something that we've been, we've been dating ever since he's uh, pretty wonderful. Um, but it's, you know, I, I did do some like going out to like the gay bar scene and just trying to have those conversations like in the heat of the moment, like with people was really, really challenging and just trying to like navigate, you know, like kind of gay male spaces, like in general was really kind of hard. Um, so I, I actually found it easier to just kind of be online and be able to like have a little bit more control over like having to out myself basically. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that it's. I mean, obviously, there's a learning curve to uh, yeah. navigating like a gay male space, a gay mm-hmm. cis male space. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, you know, I've had very small experiences in spaces like that, and it's always yeah. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that one of the things like we were talking about before was. Cody made me aware of your height mm-hmm. and we're, we're obviously intrigued, <laughs> obviously extremely jealous. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, like with that, I think the question that we were thinking was like, how are you perceived in those spaces? So I imagine in a, a cis like male gay bar or whatever you want to call it, you're probably welcomed in a sense. Like you're yeah. not really looked at as anything, but mm-hmm. no, that's very true. Uh, yeah, being being six uh, two and having a pretty incredible amount of passing privilege, um, you know, I I fit very well into the space, um, and um, you know, usually get a lot of attention for better or for worse, um, and so yeah, it's it is it is very different. Like, and I've gone I've gone with some of my other like trans guy friends, and I think the way in which they're perceived and the way in which people react to them is very different. Um, interesting yeah it is you know people in like people will outright start asking about their transition experience and I'm sitting here over in the corner being like right. I've had the same but you like you're not even like you know going there with me um yeah does that feel good or bad to you or maybe not bad but you know how does that feel you know it's uh a lot of the times it's fine um you know especially if I'm by myself like like that's kind of how I want it. But a lot of times, you know, there's, there's a piece of like, there are a lot of aspects of my identity that are being ignored or a lot of assumptions like present, or it almost feels like there's a little bit more pressure because, you know, they might be expecting one thing, especially about the body and like be like, well, that's not what, you know, that's not going to meet your expectations. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, no, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think that there's like when you're in uh, just solely like a trans space? Do you think that there's any sort of you experience any sort of negativity? Like they just assume that you're actually not trans because they're just like, damn like you're just tall like that's yeah (laughs) i do i do actually get that a lot and that's actually one thing that's been really hard for me 
is like when I go into into like trans or queer spaces, like I get a lot of looks of like, why are you here? And a lot of yeah. a lot of people putting up a lot of barriers. Um, like even, you know, I've been to, I've been to Philly Trans Health a couple of times. And even there, I get a lot of like kind of side eye of like you're a cis, like cis straight white dude or even a cis gay white dude. Like, why are you here? Um, so it is there is kind of a sense of invisibility in a lot of ways that I don't necessarily like. Um so that that has been definitely kind of a challenge um, in trans yeah. spaces. Yeah, yeah. I've I've noticed the more that I and I hate this like term, but the more that I pass, yeah, uh, or or kind of blend in, yeah. That yeah, it. I mean, it does in a sense make me. It make it makes it harder for me, I think, emotionally, because then mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this is where I belong, and yeah. I'm feeling like I don't, based on the this feedback or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think so. Yeah, it's like that double-edged sword. Like we want so badly to fit in and look this certain way, but then we also have that. It's sort of alienating at the same mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same sense. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes I forcibly out myself in in situations where I maybe wouldn't otherwise, just to mm-hmm. be able to be like, yeah, I I like I'm allowed to be here too. Right, I belong yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I wear a t-shirt. Yeah, I know. I all, but I'm trans. I know exactly. <laughs> I mean. I think, yeah, it's definitely, I'm sure it's probably also a sore spot for, I know it's a sore spot for me sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for other people, yeah. but I know, <laughs> you know, I'm five three. So yeah. I'd yeah. love to beat your height. <laughs> yeah. I know. And it, it, there, another piece that comes with it too is like professionally, I work with the trans community. Like that's what I do. I'm a, tra- <laughs> I'm a trans health researcher. And, you know, so like being, having to be very aware of like my presence in a space um has been especially like in boston it it's a bigger city but it's still a small community and so you know a couple times i've gone to like some of the different groups here and like recognizing that i think even just my presence makes people feel a little bit like uneasy just because they know i'm like part of the trans health research like field um so i feel like in a lot of ways like by doing work with the community sometimes you almost lose like community especially like especially in in terms of like research for Um, sure yeah so that's been that's been kind of hard is i feel like actually coming to boston i lot i lost a lot of sense of community okay Mm -hmm. um this is i was thinking this before but how how many years have you been on hormones it will be oh boy uh it will be seven years at the end of this month Okay. Mm -hmm. okay yeah okay so and so so you said you were 28. So did you did you go to college? I did. I went to okay. um, University of Nevada, Reno. Okay. Um, and you at, transitioned in college? I transitioned in college. Um, okay. Basically, at the end of one semester, you know, left. Like, actually, <laughs> by th- – so there was one fall semester where it's like, you know, first couple weeks, I'm like in skirts and makeup and like earrings and all this stuff. And by the end of the semester, like we had to go to this professional conference and I'm wearing a suit. Like, oh, so, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So it like happened very quickly. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I was, I was in the midst of like a semester in the midst of college, you know, everything, everything happened while I was there. I didn't like take, um, take a semester off or anything like that. I just kind of (laughs) rolled with it as I was. Was that hard? It, it was like, I think about it now. And so I had one, I have, she's my best friend who I met like kind of in that semester and she was one of the first people that I came out to and like 
best ally that you could possibly imagine. So she actually helped be a buffer in so many ways for so many like potentially awkward conversations. And she is, she calls herself a butthead Avenger, but she was like, she's just one of those people where it's like, no, you can't say that. And she is such a good like advocate and just like friend. And so she actually like helped in so many ways um, just because we were in the same major together, had almost all of our same classes together Um, so, you know, as people can obviously visibly tell something is happening, like oftentimes people aren't comfortable coming to you and asking, they went to her and like, I 100% trusted her judgment in what she would say and how she would say it. And so I like gave her all permission to like have those conversations. Um, so that was fine. And then actually, you know, I, when I came out at the university, like I didn't know any other trans folks at my university at all. Um, or even really in the area, like who were my age, I knew like one older trans woman in the area and that was it. Um, so a lot of it was kind of like figuring it out myself and kind of creating my own space. Um, so I, I talked with one of my, I kind of came out to one of my professors in like one of my final projects for the semester. It was like a behavior change project. And my behavior change was like starting therapy for gender identity stuff. Um, yeah. And like, I trust, like she's lesbian identified. And so, you know, I kind of trusted her and she connected me with, um, one of our other professors on faculty. She actually did some of the first ever like trans health research in San Francisco back in the early nineties. So like I got connected with her, but it was almost, I benefited almost from the ignorance or lack of knowledge because no one really had a, like a paradigm or a box to put me in like, Oh, trans student. So like, I kind of got to create that for myself and I had really supportive like, um, teachers. Um, and like I had an exercise physiology class that I was doing at the time and right. I'm binding and like just really uncomfortable, like physically, um, in these classes. And it was during summer and we had to do labs where it's like, you're running on a treadmill and they're measure and they have like, you know, nodes connected all over your body. And I just wasn't comfortable doing with my other classmates. So like my professor came in and like, she did it herself. Um, and like just in privacy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had like a really supportive environment, which, you know, I feel very thankful for. Yeah. That, that's a lot of support. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I didn't hear you mention, though, was parents. And Mm, I don't know mm -hmm. anything, if that is anything to, (laughs) No. you know, what what your experience there was. Um, So my parents are, I call them golden oldies. Uh, My my dad's 71 or 72. So he was um, like 65 or 66 when I came out. Um, Ex-Air Force. My family's Catholic, right? Republican. We come, we're in a pretty red area. They were phenomenal. Um, okay. so when I, uh, I came out to my mom first, which I think was a little bit unfair cause I burdened her with the knowledge. Um, but I just told her, like, I told her this was in like January, I want to say of like 2011. Um, I told her that I was starting therapy again to deal with some like stuff around my gender. I didn't say specifically what, but I just told her that. And then in February, um, I wrote a letter to both of them, um, just explaining, you know, that identified as trans, um, you know, I'm still the same person. I also like specifically wrote in there, uh, about like them not assuming that this, that it means that I'm gay or like to make assumptions about my sexual orientation. Cause I'm, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
because they had they had uh, approached me when I was like sixteen or seventeen that they 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 thought I was gay, um, and I was uh, you know I think some internalized like homophobia transphobia I was pretty resistant to that, um, but anyway so we uh, I gave them the letter my dad took the letter and like went back into the bedroom to get his reading glasses and like read it back there and meanwhile like I'm in the living room just dying, um, but he comes <laughs> back and he was like you know that's nothing I. That's nothing I didn't know. Um, yeah. And he, you know, like we talked for like three or four hours that night, just about like all things. And it's for him, you could see that it was him finally being able to put all the puzzle pieces together of my life. Um, and he, he like said, he was very relieved at that point because he had seen, they had both seen me struggling with something my entire life and couldn't help me. They didn't know what it was and they didn't know how to help me. Um, so I think they were relieved. Obviously, they were pretty like fearful as well, um, just for my safety and for future. And so we had a lot of those conversations. Um, originally, they were both kind of like, well, we don't really need to tell anybody about this and just kind of keep it in the family. But that changed pretty quickly. Um, my parents did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a natural like coping mechanism almost. Totally, for, totally. You know? And it, to the point where then my dad was like, he's a chiropractor and he's like telling all his patients and I'm like, you know, maybe we don't need to go that far. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but we did like, you know, told the extended family and my dad's very much the patriarch of the family almost on both sides. And so if it comes from him and he's okay with it, like you better get on board. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so that went over well. And then, um, my sister, uh, I have one sister. She's two and a half years older. We're very, very close. Um, she actually, I told my parents first and then I told my sister and she actually guessed. <laughs> we were like sitting, having a conversation one night and she, she can talk for like hours. And so she's talking, 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 and she could tell I was upset about something. And then she was like, all right, I'm going to go to bed. And I was like, no, I have something to say. Um, <laughs> and um, so we're sitting there and, you know, she could tell I'm really struggling to like get words out. And she's like, Dana, are you gay? And I was like, no. Um, she's like, are you going to have a sex change? And I was like, well, like, not, you know, in her, in like, just, she didn't have like the, the vocabulary for it. And yeah, I was like, yeah. well, not quite that far, but yes. And, you know, like, and from like that night on, she was the first person to switch to like using he, him pronouns and calling me her bro- oh. like brother from that moment. Um, and she actually paid for, um, paid for my top surgery. Oh my God. I know, I know, I know. So yeah, family has been, um, uh, been pretty supportive. My dad even, my dad even, my dad gave a Ted talk, like a TEDx talk about, oh about being the, um, I forget what it's called. Oh, proud to call you my transgender son. So. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm going to die. I know. This is the so it's pretty... thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Um, it's, I like the question your sister asked you because I had a similar uh, response from my brother who was, I think he was 17 at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and he, <laughs> adorable, adorable kid. And he says to me, so I, I, I have a partner and I had a partner when I was transitioning, the same mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. We had been dating for about two years before I started transitioning. Mm-hmm. So uh, about two years into that was when I came out to everyone. And when I told my youngest brother, he responded with, so does Blair have to transition too? Adorable. Like, thought that in order for us to stay together, yep. like she had to also do this. And yeah. I, it, so it was, and you know, of course you hear this and you're like, what are you, 
you know, what are you thinking? But it was the most endearing and like, definitely, you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. all he knew was mm-hmm. like, well, if you're going to do this, obviously somebody else has to with you if they're mm-hmm. going to be with you. Mm-hmm. But I think I like the way that you, ex- you shared about your sister because I like how understanding you were of her phrasing. Yeah. Because you, you knew she wasn't trying to be uh, harmful with those words, mm-hmm. but of course they can be harmful, but I think it's just important to remember that these people around us who love us or even if they don't say it right, they're typically trying their absolute best to say it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even, I mean, even to this day, it's been like six years and they're, yeah. you know, they're not perfect. Like my dad, I mean, he's probably about 90% on pronouns now, but I think that, I think that is like something key, especially when I talk, you know, with like younger folks who are starting transition is like, there's a lot of patience on both sides that like needs to happen and a lot of understanding and like, just because, you know, if they if they screw up on pronouns, obviously there's sometimes that it's malicious and that's mm-hmm. different. But, you know, it's a process for everybody. Um, it is. And I think with my family, family, like having a good sense of humor about it also like really helped. Um, like I went to a family reunion on my mom's side and this was the, and it was the first time that I had seen everybody, most everybody on her side of the family since transitioning. And so, you know, I was like expecting a lot of, you know, like, mispronouncing and and that stuff and so i had a spray bottle and so like every time they screwed up i'd spray them with it um and then we also had like a uh they had to put like quarters in a jar or something so it just oh my God. you know not but i love that yeah and it, and it you know it i don't know i think it just helped ease ease them like their own anxiety a little bit too like understanding like yes you're gonna make mistakes and you know i'm going to correct you but it's not like it's not me thinking that you like love me any less right yeah i think i think it's very easy for us to forget that you know our parents you know for me my parents had two daughters up until for 26 years they had two daughters yep and then you know while i never saw myself as a daughter i never felt like a daughter or a girl Mm -hmm. uh and i didn't present myself in that way but they had a daughter period so to not give them space to get it's not about getting you know it's just to change that to yeah. look you know to see that there is a big an importance with pronouns and stuff it's not that easy especially in the beginning stages mm-hmm. and when you know the, the the appearance changes are not prominent they're not you know in your face you don't have a beard as soon as you take your testosterone or mm-hmm. whatever so i think it's like it's so important that we try to remember you know like you said unless it's obviously malicious everyone is just trying to do their best and mm-hmm. There has to be patience from both sides, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, if you want a posi- if you want it to be a positive uh, journey, yeah. You know, I think that there needs to be patience on either side, and the humor helps. I love that. I think that's hysterical mm-hmm. because you're acknowledging that they're trying, but you're also gently saying, "Hey, this is pretty important." Yeah. Uh, but in a way that's light, and everybody can digest it. Yeah, know? yeah. And there, I mean, there were situations where you know, if we're going into something that. I wouldn't say it's more serious, but like mispronouning would be very awkward in that situation. Like I'd always like tell my parents walking in like, okay, mind your he's and she's, um, <laughs> you know, like mind your P's and Q's. Um, but just like kind of that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. So you've been dating the same person now for, you said like 15 months. Is that what you, yeah, it feels like forever, but it's been since like last November. Yeah. So like 15 months. Um, so have you, how has it been like meeting 
his friends? Have you met his family? Do they know you're mm-hmm. trans? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, how is that? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, he's a, he's like an incredibly aware person. And so when I, I've, we've talked about like, I've asked him who of your friends knows that I'm trans. And he's like, that's your, that's your business. He's like, I, oh my I don't, I don't think I need to be the one to tell him. Should you choose to, that's perfectly fine, but I'm not going to be the one to out you. So I actually kind of don't know which of his friends know that I'm trans. Um, <laughs> he sounds so sweet. <laughs> yeah, he's very sweet. Um, and nor, you know, it not necessarily, I don't care. I still talk about like experience and I talk about stuff like I normally would. Um, but, you know, he's kind of put that ball into my court. Um Part of it for me, too, is also recognizing that, like, when people know that I'm trans, they may look at him differently. Um, So that's kind of been a lot of, like, the conversation of, like, he may be he may be getting questions that he didn't necessarily anticipate um, by, like, dating a trans person. But he's he's like super self-aware and just he I don't think that would phase him as much. Um, and then his parents, yeah, they actually, he did tell them and I, I totally told him you are absolutely allowed to tell your parents. Um, and they, uh, I think his mom's words were like, Oh, that's adventurous, which I was like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> cause he, he identifies as bisexual and he didn't come out okay. until later in college. Um, and so, you know, had just kind of even dar- dated other, started dating other cis men. So his mom was like, oh, that's adventurous. Um, but they're so funny. I know both of his parents are, um, psychologists and okay. like his mom has private practice and she actually does work with a lot of like trans youth and families. Um, so, you know, she's pretty aware. I have, I did meet them. Um, I went, uh, I went to their house for Thanksgiving this past year, um, and, you know, very warm, very welcoming. You could tell that they were hesitant to ask me questions and to understand, yes. like, what they can ask. Um, they, at one point, we were out to dinner, and we were talking about, like, high school experience, and his mom was like, oh, Dana, how was high school for you? Never mind. Like, <laughs> I probably shouldn't bring this up, you know? And I was like, no, it's fine. Like, I went to high school. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I just kind of talk. You can, I feel like I can still talk about my experience oftentimes in an ungendered way. Um, so, you know, but no, they've been, they've been very warm, very welcoming. That's great. Yeah. 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 I know not all of us are, yeah, we're not all so Yeah. Yeah. It's just always so interesting because it's like, there's the usual, I don't know, your, your experience is so different. I know. You've navigated spaces that like, I am like terrified of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, I guess like the gay uh, male community has always been kind of like a mystery to me because like <laughs> I've been around it but not like in it so I'm just like mm-hmm. what really goes on mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like going into the men's bathroom and then being like all right this is what it's like but like right now I know but mm-hmm. people are, you're kind of like hmm. <laughs> yeah and it is it can be so diff. like in even depending on who's there and kind of what what the context is like there's definitely a lot of transphobia and just a lot of, um, uh, you know, really misinformation in gay male spaces and they can be pretty sexist and, uh, you know, a lot of different situations, but. Yeah. yeah for sure. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do we, I wanted to see more about with your, with your dating experience. Did you have 
was there ever a time where you felt just super uncomfortable with dating somebody, whether it was a first date or something? Um, I'm just curious how how you handled that or navigated something like that. If you had any of those experiences, I didn't have I didn't have too many. Um, just because like I was so uncomfortable in general that like I didn't go on dates. Um, and I always joked that like I would, my, I had a once a year quota that I was like, all right, I have to go on at least one date a year. <laughs> like no matter how it ends, I have to go once a year. Um, so I, I didn't have too many like that. I did, there was once or twice, like, um, I haven't had too, there haven't been too many situations where I've been attracted to like a feminine identified person. Um, uh, but there were once or twice and like, I tried like conveying my interest and that did not go well. <laughs> just, <laughs> I like, what, what did they, like, what was their, what did they say? Well, just because we were, we were like pretty good friends. And then okay. I, I tried to like take it to more than friends. And I think, and I didn't, do it very well, obviously. Um, (laughs) but, and I think also for me, that's like, I don't uh, like having, having been socialized, like as a heterosexual female, like being the person to take that step, I had Mm -hmm. no idea how to do it. Um, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm single. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I think that now I'm going to put a rule for Cody that he needs to go on one date. One date a year, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. He's doing every, every, six, he's doing every six months. Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> yeah. Break him out of his shell. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, my one date should count as like a podcast. So, like, we just have to speed date. We'll just have a one person on for, uh-huh. for every six months. <laughs> yeah, they don't know it's a date, but yeah. Like, I was yeah. going to say, so sorry, Dana, you're actually on a date right now. I'm not sure if we told you that. <laughs> hey, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> We just have guests. Yeah, yeah, we have guest stars, so Cody can uh, analyze if he, if they seem like somebody that would work for him. Great. <laughs> totally joking. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let if you're cool with it, I would love to talk to you about the egg freezing process. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, Cody shared with me a little bit about what he's seen on your YouTube, but mm-hmm. you know, this is my first experience with you. I've I've never experienced you before today, so that's just stalker. I feel like <laughs> that's okay. We all we all stalk each other. Yeah, we all stalk each other. But that's the point, isn't that why we make the videos? Yeah, exactly. So about each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, so if you wanna, if you can share some of that, I don't even, I'm not even sure what to ask you. As far mm-hmm. as just what was the process? Because I know it was offered to me before my hysterectomy mm. and I just wanted no part of it because it did not feel good for me yeah. whatsoever. So I didn't even really want to go there. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about your experience. No, it's true. Like there's, it's, it's very rare that it can actually, like people actually uh, do it. Um, I think not necessarily being uh, because they maybe don't want, it's so expensive. Like, let's just put that out there right now. And like most of the time insurances do not cover it. Um, but in terms of like my own process in doing it, like the, for me, like I've always wanted biological children. Like my, my toy growing up was like a baby doll that just looked like me, um, named Jake. And like, I've always like had that very just like parental instinct and have always wanted kids. And so even when I first started, um, hormones, like one of the things that almost stopped the entire process was the realization that like the, it'll probably be a slim to no chance of having biological kids. And that was super hard for me. And I also think like 
no one was really willing to have that conversation with me. So there was a lot of like self-processing of like, you know, I'm, I'm most likely not going to be able to do this. So making my peace with that. Um, and so I was on hormones for five years. And then at my, uh, at my current work, we have a pretty robust like trans health coverage for our insurance, which is phenomenal. And two summers ago, is it two summers ago? Yeah, two summers ago, three summers ago. Time, man, time is gone. Flying. Yeah, um, they announced that they were now expanding coverage of fertility services um, specific for trans individuals. Um, the way the policy was written is it was for people who were going to be starting hormones or having some sort of like gender affirming procedure that would render them infertile. I had already been on for five years and I was like, man, I'm going to take my chance on this. Um, so I decided to take advantage of the policy. Um, and it required obviously going off hormones for many months. Um, they say you can do it at, like, it, as long as you get one like monthly cycle back, um, then they can like do it and be done and you can go back on hormones. For me, the process was much longer. I was actually off hormones for 10 months. Um, yeah, it was not fun. Um, so I went off like, uh, August 1st, 2015, I want to say. And, um, as just in, in anticipation of doing this, met with the specialist, there's a, um, fertility center here in Boston that they actually, like one of their specialties is working with like LGBT and like specifically trans folks too. Um, so I met with their specialist, um, to kind of, you know, go over the consent, kind of understand a little bit more of what the actual process and procedure was like. And then I, it was actually my own doing in, in extending the process because it, it was, it was hard for me at the time. I wasn't partnered in any way. And it was really hard for me to think about going through this whole like process of essentially family planning on my own and like not having another person say in this and also not knowing like, you know, what my eventual like partnership configuration would be um, to be making these decisions all myself. Like there was a piece of empowerment around it, but then there was also like almost a sadness in a lot of ways that I didn't have another person to be like, to be going to appointments with me or to be like talking about this with or planning with. Yeah. Um, so there was some just kind of more like just emotional, like, reckoning at that point that that I did but ultimately I decided to go through with it um and the the process itself was I would say about like a month and a half two months like total like uh kind of in depth um so you have to like you go in at when like one cycle starts right so it's like on the first day of your cycle, you call them, you say, hey, it started. Um, so much fun. Um, and you go in and they, they do blood work and an ultrasound. Like, unfortunately, the whole, like, the whole time you were getting a lot of pelvic ultrasounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, not fun. Um, <laughs> so you're going and getting like your baseline levels of like hormones and what your like follicle count is, which are the follicles are basically like the beginnings of the eggs, like in your ovaries. And so... Every, every month you have multiple follicles, but you only release one and that's the one that, you know, like embeds and then is released through like a monthly cycle. Um, but you have lots of follicles. So they get a count of the number of your follicles to see just kind of basically how fertile you are. I refer to it like, as like my hen house because I'm like laying a bunch of eggs. Um, <laughs> and so I, um, so you go in and do that and then you have that like 
baseline stuff done. And then, so they tell you that, all right, so the next month when you're, um, when it starts, uh, you let them know, and then you're going to be, and then it's all super timed, like to like within hours. Um, so I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but at some point I had to go basically on follicle stimulating hormone to basically start make my body make a lot more follicles than it normally would. Um, so that's like daily injections. Um, not fun. Uh, I felt like, is that because of the testosterone? Like, would you, would you have had to do that if you were not on testosterone? No, this is, this is for anybody. Oh, it's for anybody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so having to do that, um, to basically start building up, building up, building up every couple days going in for blood work, ultrasound, just to kind of see, um, a lot of what they're doing is measuring the size of like the, um, of the follicle because they can, they can know how mature it is based on the size. Um, so going in for that, and then it's actually usually like when you would be ovulating is when you're going to go in for harvest. So it's like two weeks before that, that I'm really doing a lot of those hormones. Um, so daily injections, lots of blood work, lots of, uh, ultrasounds. Um, and then when it starts getting to a certain size, they can estimate like, okay, you're probably going to ovulate on this date. Um, so they'll give you the final shot that you do is, um, uh, Oh my God, what was it called? I think it was luteinizing hormone or it was another hormone, but it's basically telling your body to release. But this one, um, there's a different one that tells it to not release. Um, so okay. it's basically like going to grow. I'm not explaining this well, but I'm trying. Um, You're doing a great job. Yeah. I think in my videos, I probably did a better job. But um, so you, your final shot that you take, it's like to the T, 72 hours later, you go in and you have the eggs harvested. And what that procedure is, they put you under general anesthesia. It takes like 15 minutes, so it's super quick. But they basically take a probe with a long needle attached and go up through the canal um, and then kind of like through the canal. And basically they're aspirating or like sucking out the eggs, <laughs> um, the follicles, like in the ovaries, so they just like kind of poke around and like suck them all out. Um, yeah, and then they uh, they take those and they see which ones are um, are mature, and then they freeze as many as they can. Um, and so I have seventeen potential little Danas in the freezer somewhere. Nice. <laughs> so when they're doing the procedure to retrieve them, is 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 it painful or is there any? recovery time from this or is it just a pretty simple procedure in and out i mean pretty simple i was in and out same day um the i they tell you to take the rest of the day off work mostly mostly just because you've done anesthesia um but really the afterwards it was mostly just like bloating and some uncomfortableness just because fluids fills the space um you know so that that was the main thing when i was Doing the stimulating hormones, that was uncomfortable too because it is causing you to feel pretty bloated um, on top of the fact that you're off your normal home hormones and you have different hormones coursing through your body. So it was a really kind of an emotional roller coaster all around. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was just going to ask you, like, because one of the things Cody and I talked about on our hormones episode was, for me, I know when my testosterone level is too high or too low. Mm. I get very, very sensitive and emotional. Mm. Um, so what was – yeah, what did you experience? Like were you – did you feel a little out of control of your own emotions? Um, I felt more 
aware of them, not necessarily out of control. One of the things, I mean, I don't know if you guys experienced too, starting on hormones, is like my own ability to express emotions very much changed and like recognition of my own feelings changed. And and I feel like um, when I went off hormones, like the big thing in the beginning was I was just like super tired, especially right around the three week mark. Like you know, cause my testosterone was super down and my natural, like my estrogen or whatever was picking up. So I was just like kind of devoid. So I was yeah. super tired, uh, much more aware of my emotions. I felt more emotionally like volatile in a lot of ways is like on, on any given day, I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel. Um, <laughs> so I definitely felt that, um, I still, I still couldn't cry. I really would have liked to, but oh, wow. I still just like couldn't cry. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot more like, normally I'm a very even person and I was much more up and down than, than I normally am. Yeah. But I, I'm also one who's not sensitive like you are to testosterone. Like I can't tell I'm, I'm really bad about my shot, like really bad. (laughs) And so, um, usually my, my like demarcation of like, oh, I'm late is I would start getting cramps again. Um, which have now having a histo now I'm even worse. So I'm right. right. Yeah. I'm the worst example when it comes to like what you should be doing in terms of maintenance. So, Oh my God. <laughs> well, I, but I feel like did that, were you always that way throughout your transition or is that because now you're seven years in and like the laziness kind of comes over, and, <laughs> you know, you've had major changes already. Yeah. You know, I'm sure. Yeah. I think, go ahead, Cody. Sorry. I was going to say, do I need to remind you to take your shot that you're working out with me now? <laughs> yes, you do. You should put that in, like, in my daily log. Like, do yeah. your shot, Dana. Take your shot. Yeah. I know. Um, I, I think part of it was the, you know, once I kind of got the changes that I was expecting that I was wanting and I stopped right. seeing changes, I was like, meh. Um, and I, yeah, in the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, I'm 12 hours late on my shot. And then right. – you know, a couple of years in, I was like, I'm three weeks late. I should probably do this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I'm at that point now where it's been difficult for me. I'm actually just had my three year earlier in March, but mm-hmm. I, since my histo, like since I started growing facial hair, which is what I really love. Yeah. Um, I've been the same way. It's just hard to <laughs> want to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's yeah. just the natural progression of when you get to a certain point. Yeah. And I've tried, I've tried to like, so I did the shot when I first started, then I switched to the gel for a while to try and get like, um, you know, be better about doing it like as a daily routine. But then my levels weren't like coming up to what they should have been. And I was having some like breakthrough like cycles. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, nope, back to the shot. Um, yeah. So then I went back to the shot, but I'm just not really good about it. <laughs> I've I've heard that with the cream that or the gel yeah. that I can yeah and I'm actually I'm actually soon gonna be switching over to the Testo Pell which okay. um few like it's not offered many places but it's basically pellets that they insert into like into your glute muscle um, and they dissolve over like three to four months yeah isn't it it's similar to like the birth control yeah injection but. For men, for, for men. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the, that's a different one too. And that usually isn't offered in the U S like it's rare that that's offered in the U S I don't think it's FDA approved as the thing is like the, the long, the long release. That's very common in like Germany and the UK. Um, yeah. What? I was on, I was on it for a while. Were you? 
Oh, okay. Then totally ignore what I just said. <laughs> yeah, no, but maybe, but maybe I'm not expressing it the right way. Maybe yeah. I'm not telling you the right thing. Um, What's so, the name of it? I can't even think of it. Yeah. Name. There's the N, right? I don't know. I can't. This was a while ago, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Brain farting. Well, I was, on, I was on birth control since I was 15, since mm-hmm. I had basically started a cycle because I could not emotionally deal with it. So I mm-hmm. told my parents that my cycle was too painful. Mm-hmm. So I was on birth control since then. And, um, about a year, it was about six months before I actually started, uh, testosterone. Like, so actually started to transition, but had already come out. Mm-hmm. And my doctor knowing that I was, it was at a point of taking the pills daily for the birth control was too emotional for me mm-hmm. because I just wanted to be on testosterone and it was just like a reminder. Yeah. So she, she said, do you want to do this? It was like a, I think she called it like a transdermal implant or something. I'll have to look it up. But oh, yeah. she basically like, you know, injected into my arm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was an implant, but it was like a, something that basically over the course of a month or whatever, a couple months, it would, you know, oh, like go out. Yeah. So for birth, yeah. So for birth control, yeah, it's the exact yes. same concept. I okay. thought I thought you were talking about the long injection form of testosterone. Oh, see, that's why I knew that we were. Yeah. On the, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I was like, Wait yes. A minute, this wasn't special. Like- no. <laughs> yes. So same concept. They insert the okay. insert the little pellets. They're like the size of a grain of rice almost, and they dissolve. Yeah. So. I want to do it. I know. <laughs> Can I come over? Sure. Come to Boston. <laughs> That sounds way more fun. I know. <laughs> Although it's like, apparently your butt's really sore for a couple of days. So Cody, no squats for a couple of days. <laughs> when I actually do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I feel so- like everybody hates squats. And I was like, you know, I need her. I don't mind. I don't mind them. <laughs> I like squatting when I was able to work out. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. They're like the best exercise. They're very functional. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think it's fun. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, uh, along the lines of the different types of testosterone, like how they have in the UK and Germany and stuff like that, where they get a shot once every like three months, right? Mm-hmm. Why isn't that available here? Like you said, probably, the FDA. Probably the same reason that the FTM the penile implant is not here. Yeah. <laughs> the US doesn't want it here. Yeah. <laughs> Probably because honestly, it's probably going to take away money from like so many industries. If you just have to get one yeah. shot, yep. you know, I'm sure there's probably it's a money thing, probably. Yeah, so, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what the FDA like you know reasoning is or anything like that. I mean, even any any of the use of testosterone for like trans folks or estrogen is technically off label. Um, so you know, FDA doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I government it would be nice. yeah it would, yeah, it would be yeah. super nice it'd be nice to have three months you know yeah man yeah exactly <laughs> um <laughs> um one of the oh, one of the questions i was thinking while you were sharing your um egg retrieval experience with us one of the things i know that i try to talk about with um my phalloplasty experience is mm. how much my day-to-day life is different mm-hmm. because of complications because of the recovery mm-hmm. all of that i i feel like i was not prepared ahead of time mm. for what that would look like you know here we are i'm i'm literally nearing one year post op my first stage of fallow and i still <laughs> i still am like restricted in a lot of ways i mm. have not gone back to my full time job mm. i you know there's a lot of things that have changed for yeah. me currently um so i'm curious 
with the egg retrieval, I know that coming off hormones is extremely emotional in general. So aside from that, was your day-to-day life interrupted in any way with these doctor's appointments? Were you, were you still going to work regularly? Were you still doing everything as you would have if this wasn't happening? I was like doing all the same things. And luckily, like, you know, my, my bosses, like my work were totally aware of this. So they were supportive of me, you know, like I have to drive out, you know, it's like an hour away. I have to go drive for another ultrasound today. And they were totally okay with that. Um, so they were, um, they were on board. It didn't interrupt like, you know, I kept going to work like I normally would. Luckily, like my coworkers, they were also like, we have a pretty open office space. And so like, they knew it was happening. So they also like, if I was a little more emotional, like any, any given right. day, I could be like, not today. Um, I just can't talk about that today. Um, so they were, they were, yeah, they were fine with it. <laughs> I think the only, like the major just disruption was just the lack of energy. Um, okay. And that was the main thing is like, I just felt like I was not, you know, producing as much as I normally would at work or even just like doing other extra, you know, curricular things, basically. Um, That was the main thing. And I felt uh, much weaker than I normally did. Um, Like if, if I, if I did muster the energy to go work out, you know, it's like, I can barely lift this. Um, Okay. Yeah. So that was the main thing. So you would, you would not in any way say that that process would be comparable to a recovery process from a histo or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, no. Okay. No. I'm, I'm basically – I see, I felt so blindsided by my recovery for this fallow and just yeah. everything that could that could come with it mm-hmm. um, that I, I, I feel like it's very important to get information out about what these processes really entail, mm-hmm. um, you know, because – and now Cody's is kind of in the same boat as me. Like, he has yeah. to have surgery again. Yeah. You know, we did – I don't think – I know that for sure I did not think I was going to be literally nearing my one year of stage one and still be on stage one yeah. or, you know, not making actual progress yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just so important that we talk more about these things. Like, you know, so while you're saying that it wasn't a huge recovery type thing, but you couldn't go to the gym the way that you would normally, Yeah, you couldn't work out the same way that, you know, I know for some people that's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, if that was Cody, that would be life altering. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why so, like, I remember seeing your videos before and you going through this process and just being like, no fucking way I'd be able to do this. No. Like, I'm just like, you are incredibly brave to do this because I can't imagine uh, having to go out hormones for that long yeah. and just going through like the emotional yeah. torment of it all. And then yeah. I was like, if I went off hormones, like I'd probably just get super misgendered all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you dealt with that at all, but um, yeah, you are brave for doing that. <laughs> See, I feel, I feel the same way about you guys going with, going through a fallow. Just, I mean, Cody, mostly following your story, you know, like on Instagram, I'm like, oof, that's a lot. Yeah. Like, it's a lot. I think all, like, I just think that all these processes take a toll in some way. Yeah. And there's just not enough, uh, first hand experiences on yeah. what, like, no, you know, there's not enough people sharing saying this is what's happening. Yeah. And, and to give an impression of what we, what other people can expect. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, like I said, I was, I feel really unprepared for what mm-hmm. was to come. <laughs> yeah. I feel <laughs> like, know? yeah, I feel like even the same with top surgery is like, there's so much that you hear of the before and the, and the, like the surgery, but yes. then a lot of people, like not necessarily the after or really only, right. you know, the, oh, my scars are healing or something like that, but not necessarily the emotional component or right. like just the day-to-day impact. Or even like I have a, um, she was one of my previous coworkers. She had um, uh, vaginoplasty 
And I know like it was a, just a really not terrible experience for, for her, but again, like the after um, right. that she just was not ready for. And I know had a really terrible time, you know, I can't speak to the experience at all, but just right. um, kind of, kind of witnessing that she had a really hard time with it. Um, just yeah. didn't feel adequately prepared for um, how to deal with things afterwards. Right. And yeah. the, the, the sad, the sad thing that I'm learning uh, and I know, you know, again, this is one of the forces behind Cody and I doing this is that a lot of the times the doctors don't know how to prepare us either mm-hmm. because they are not going through this. No. They are not right. trans. So, you know, Dr. Chen, we, we both have Dr. Chen as surgeons. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know that about mm-hmm. Cody. Like he, I just find him to be so incredible in so many ways. And so when I'm sitting here talking about, I didn't feel prepared. That's not for his lack of doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's because it's because of he the lack doesn't... of. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's not, he cannot say to me, Nash, you might feel this weird sensation where the vaginectomy, you know, where your vaginectomy incisions are. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean this, but you know, he can't prepare you for that yeah. because he has never had a vaginectomy. Yeah. He doesn't know what that feels like, especially for a trans man mm-hmm. who is going through it, you know, so he might know. A cis female, I don't think cis female have vaginectomies ever, but I don't know if there's a partial, yeah. you know, like I know my, my cousin was sharing with me that during her birth, during her natural birth, you know, if that area gets ripped open mm-hmm. and they sew it up, obviously not completely closed, but mm-hmm. they sew it up in a very similar way than in the way that our vaginectomy is done. Mm-hmm. So of course they're not completely sewing it shut, but mm-hmm. she was, she was telling me to get these different things like a peri bottle with uh, the sanitizing solution oh, man. that she was, that she was using to clean that area. Mm-hmm. So here I am taking advice from my cis female cousin who is going through these pregnancies. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to know that that can be compared, but it's so important because the, the the advice that she gave me was not something that Dr. Chen would have necessarily known to give. And, and, and here I am listening to, again, my, my pregnant cousin telling yeah. me how to do this. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think it just speaks to us having to share more about these experiences mm-hmm. because that's the only way we can prepare each other yeah. is listening to each yeah. other's experiences. And um, that's basically, I mean, that's basically what we've been trying to do. Cause I think right. it's like, it's not necessarily that, you know, we can't really like rely on the doctors, but we don't know, we don't know what's normal. So there's so much anxiety that goes into the aftercare of like, is this normal? I have no idea. And if you don't have a doctor that's like willing to email you or go like to call you if you are concerned or whatever, which Dr. Chen is like really amazing to do that. But that's not every surgeon. Yeah. Not every surgeon is going to be willing to like be like, oh, it's okay. That's normal. Um, so by sharing more of, the steps of phalloplasty or whatever it's kind of just being like here's more resources coming from people who actually went through the surgery like we're not doctors but we could tell you uh you know what it feels like yeah definitely yeah yeah Yeah, like i um i had uh top surgery with dr garamoni in florida um you know so i had my whole experience and then i had um a friend who was, uh, I called him my little brother, um, that he then went for top surgery with Garamani like six months later. So I went back with him and that, you know, that I think, especially for his mom who was there, like me being there being like, Nope, normal. Like, yeah, that, that, that feeling is pretty normal. Um, you know, being able to just kind of assuage some of that fear, like, is this how it's supposed to be? Um, yeah, Yeah. super important. Yeah. Uh, And I think, uh, with, just with the whole with that whole thing of sharing the information you know it's also 
it's helped our doctors to focus on learning more mm-hmm. and to focus on the actual procedures mm-hmm. and not have to sit there and try to, you know, necessarily troubleshoot or give us answers on these little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there's been so many times that I've reached out like, Dr. Chen, I have this weird itch or I have this weird whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's get tested. Let's see if you have a UTI or, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff where, uh, you know, like I, I wish I didn't have to take up his time with those things yeah. and that he could focus on what he needs to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, it's, but it's also important for him to like hear these yeah. things because then he can start to build like a exactly. perspective of like, oh, this is normal. This is what my patients tell me. Exactly. You know? Which I think is a, a secret, like a secret help with this podcast because then we're sharing, you know, Cody and I are sharing our experiences. We're having different um, trans guys come on who have had fallow, whoever, anyone come yeah. on. And with sharing, you know, just let's specifically with fallow, these people sharing their own experiences. So you're not just, it's not just, this is Cody's experience. This is Nash's experience. Yeah. And that's a universal uh, truth. Because yeah. it's not. No. And so by having these different people, then we get to say like, you know, it's going to reach so many more people who are going to have something to uh, connect with, mm-hmm. you know? So like whatever that is, <laughs> yeah. whether it's a stricture, whether it's, who knows, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're able to see that certain things are normal and certain things are alarming. And that's when you really need to sound the alarm of like, Hey, surgeon, you need, you know, we need to address this. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, it's good to hear though, that the egg retrieval process does not need to be that daunting, mm-hmm. uh, physically, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it certainly is, but it, yeah, it, I think, I think a lot of the, um, the buildup to it was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be off hormones. Like that was more, more daunting than like right. physically going through it, you know? Right. And I don't mean to make that sound like I'm invalid. No, 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 not, not okay. at all. Okay. Because it's definitely not, that's not what I'm trying to do, but no. I'm just, I like to, for me personally, mm-hmm. I like to organize things in my head and categorize. So like yeah. I can categorize yours as, you know, the egg retrieval process as being a five versus yeah, being totally. a 10 or, yeah, or whatever definitely. it is, you yep. know, um, I, you know, I just find that stuff really interesting and I, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm I would just find, I find like egg retrieval being like, emotionally troubling on the same <laughs> level yes. like just so like brain so much brain fuckery going on <laughs> there is i didn't want to do it <laughs> yeah there is and i think it was just you know also just the process of going through it with um because you're having to get so many ultrasounds and like interacting with so many people and you know i had an experience where i went in for one of the bloodworks ultrasounds and i put my name like you walk in and you put your name down you know that you're there and i was the only person in the waiting area my name's there and the the like the tech comes back to grab me and looks at the name and then looks around and is like who could that be? And like walks back and I hear her like whispering with someone else, you know, being like, no, he's like the only one there and all this stuff. And like, and you're like that's me, that's me. I was like, hello. Um, you know? And so one of them I could tell was super uncomfortable with it. And then, and then another tech was like, no, I got this, um, yeah. you know, and, and was great. And just like, in and out, like, yep, this is what we do, you know? So it was more so just, like, the dealing with people, like, constantly, uh, that was kind of the annoying part. (laughs) Do you feel like, do you feel like in those situations, um, are you somebody who struggles with navigating the medical uh, situations? So, like, do you, sometimes I have experiences where I feel like, like, the experience you just described, if that Mm -hmm. was me, 
uh, now I handle it better. But early on in transitioning, I would have really struggled with that. I would have either walked out and gone somewhere else or, you know, I don't know, maybe I would have gotten emotional and, and maybe said something to them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But is that something that you have trouble navigating or how do you cope with those situations? Because I know that we all face them you know, medical stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I like just my nature is much more passive. So it's rare that okay. I will like say something in the moment. <laughs> um, okay. Just, you know, that's just my own, like I'm a non-confrontational, pretty passive person. Um, like even, even this situation, I did follow up like with the doctor and say, Hey, this happened. I just wanted to let you know, um, like if there's any way that you could like document something in my chart or like right. something, um, you know, or in the past, like I've had to do a lot of education of providers, um, for, you know, for myself, uh, which I don't necessarily like having to do, but oftentimes mm -hmm. it ends up being what you have to do to get your needs yeah. met. Um, so yeah, I, you know, a lot of the medical situations in the moment, I usually don't say anything and I just kind of let it go. Um, or just, you know, like, all right, just get me out of here. Just do what I need to do and let me leave. And then I'll follow up later once I have time, like more time to process and, or like who, who is the best person to talk to about this to make sure like this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actively working on that. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I am somebody who likes to let you know, you know, if something like that happened, I like to speak my mind because I don't want somebody who really can't maybe deal with a situation like that who might really be affected. I don't want yeah. that to happen to anyone else. So I know that for me, I can handle things a little bit more in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to speak up when I can. You know? Yeah. And I think it's um, important to do both, you know? Yeah. Super important no, to but, do both. But you are, but I like that you, I like how you said it, that you're, you're taking the time to be passive and to let it sit and for you to be able to come back to it and, and approach it in a more, um, I don't know if it's mature or whatever, calm, just a calm manner. Yeah. To be, be able to respond calmly. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's <laughs> something I work on because I, I tend to try to do it in that exact moment because if mm -hmm. I don't do it, then it won't get addressed, yeah. you know, in my mind. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, has been your experience in the difference between like you started hormones in Nevada, which, um, I'm in California, so we're kind of like neighbors, but mm -hmm. I know, I mean, we're not exactly that far mm -hmm. away from Reno and, I feel like I'm kind of in a small town. Um, I don't know how Nevada was starting hormones, how the medical staff and stuff was there mm -hmm. to start with, and like the difference now between Boston and Nevada and California and all that stuff. Because I know here, like, no one had any experience. And like, I find myself mostly educating now. I finally found a primary care physician that has experience. So that's been really helpful. But before that, like it was a little nuts. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so when I first started, like I went to my normal PCP that I had been seeing for years, um, and just approached her and was like, "Hey, I'm interested in starting um, hormone replacement therapy." You know, I'm like 21, and she's like, "Why? Your hormones are fine." <laughs> um, um, and you know, I told her I was like, "Well, I identify as trans, and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to start on testosterone for transitioning." She had never had a trans patient before, 
wasn't necessarily sure how this was going to go, but I think, again, I somewhat benefited by like lack of knowledge because then she couldn't be like, well, these are like the protocols and this is what we have to do. And like, I have to get two letters of support from, you know, like all the, all the hoops, like she wasn't aware of the normal hoops that exist. So she was like, okay. Um, and, and it was one where it was kind of education because she, you know, she's like, well, let me do some research. We'll come back. Um, and we'll discuss, you know, and again, in like a week or two weeks or something. And I was like, okay. And she's like, in the meantime, go do your research too. And I was like, already done it, but okay. Um, so then we came back together and she was like, okay, so I've looked into it and I think we should start like this dose at this level. It was like every two weeks or something. And I was like, well, could we maybe try every week? Cause I've heard other people say like, you know, they kind of get that, like their emotions kind of drop. And she was like, yeah, that seems fine. Um, so it was like, it was very collaborative, um, which yeah. I super appreciated. And she wasn't like, you know, she wasn't trying to, to follow any set thing. Like she made it very specific to me, which I appreciated. Um, coming to Boston, it was actually a little bit different just because there is so much more awareness. Um, and like, you know, I go to Fenway Health, which is like basically the one of the biggest uh, trans health programs in the country. And there, it still is pretty individual. Like they do informed consent model, which they just switched over to a couple years ago, um, where, you know, just like basically any other medical procedure you have as an adult, it's like by informed consent. So they don't require the letters anymore unless there's right. like, you know, a lot of mental health like concerns potentially. Um but even then, it's like, I feel like it's much more structured um, of like, no, this is how we have to do it because we have our protocols and we have to stick to our right. protocols. And I'm like, oh, fuck the protocols, you know, excuse my language. But um, so I kind of get somewhat frustrated by that. But um, yeah. and I think of it was I think part of it is just the time lapse from when I started to now, just because there is so much more like conversation happening around trans health. And mm -hmm. so everybody trying to, you know, set their protocols and what is, what is correct um, versus what is like actually right for this patient. Right. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so much yeah. stuff. Lots of, lots of feels around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I almost don't have, like, I didn't even know what to say because I was just like, uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it just, this stuff can be so daunting and stressful. And yeah, I, it really yeah. is. It is. Well, and kind of like, sorry. No, and I was just going to say, like, there's no education around it in medical schools, or if there is, it's like an hour. Yeah, so, I just learned that. I just yeah. learned it's a very small, <laughs> you know, part. Well, I know, like, my friend, yeah, my friend, they do, like, you know, there's, they might have, like, an LGBT, like, block where they're learning yeah. but it's all lgbt in four hours yeah so. So cody was telling me like because i go to i go to sutter health here in california and mm -hmm. he does as well and i'm i'm new to california like i lived in seattle up until mm -hmm. uh all my foul complications mm -hmm. so um i'm just navigating the medical stuff here for the first time mm -hmm. and le like i have never had a situation at one of these uh, appointments with a sutter health professional where I've disclosed that I'm trans and something negative has happened or I've been treated differently or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like I disclose this and suddenly things almost go better. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah. And Cody was saying that they have this, like, I mean, Cody, if you want to talk about it, like they have some sort of training, right? Um, well, I think they're just starting to do that. So okay. like my primary care physician just had 
uh, some of her patients do like a video for Sutter to train how to treat uh, trans patients, like mm-hmm. in appointments or um, how to be respectful and stuff like that. So um, that was like uh, six, seven months ago now. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So like, I don't know if that's just hit the, you know, training part in Sutter Health. So that's something. something or, yeah. Um, but I think that they're at least trying yeah. to be more informed about their patients. So mm-hmm. I think that is awesome that they're at least getting there. And I think when it comes to uh, maybe they'll have more protocol in place. Maybe they're just being like, damn, like Kaiser is doing a better job. Uh, right. But Kaiser has a lot of protocols for sure. Mm-hmm. They've just been more on top of it. But I'm kind of just like, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to go to Kaiser because of those situations. It's <laughs> just like more yeah. impersonal. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I think, you know, Setter's finally getting into a, mm-hmm. a good spot with that. Yeah. And my sense is a lot of, you know, there, there are a lot of different people around the country, like really trying to work on this. Um, So it's happening. It's, it's slow moving and you know, it's, uh, some of it depends on who's conducting the training and what they're doing too, that some of it changes. Like I know we work, I work pretty closely with um, Dr. Maddie Deutsch. She's, she's at the UCSF um, Center for Trans Excellence. and so I do a lot with her and I know she's working with like dis- different systems in California. So it's like, you know, just kind of putting it all together and kind of spreading the word a bit more broadly. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I think, I think they're starting to do more of the training or something because it just seems, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe I just got really lucky with these people, but yeah. this has been, you know, since September I've had, I don't know, 30 doctor's appointments yeah. <laughs> at different locations yeah. and, I've never had a bad experience. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important too, is like a lot of the times, like the catalyst that forces centers into doing like these dedicated trainings is the patients providing feedback. Right. And right. so like people continually, whether it be directly to the provider or to, you know, administration being like, this is important. Like there needs to be get dedicated trainings around this. That's usually how it happens. Yeah. And I know that at, at a California Pacific medical center, the, that's the hospital that, um, the phalloplasty surgery is yeah. done at. And I've, I've been in several times since then. And I, uh, you know, I, I know that there, uh, I have always made a point after each visit to tell the, like on whoever's on call or the main person to say, I'm trans. Your nurse was absolutely incredible. You know, they mm-hmm. did this, this, and this, and I really appreciated it. Yep. Or, or, you know, like there was one time where it wasn't even a bad experience, but it was just like one thing that could have been better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just want to share this. And they're so like, they were so appreciative yeah. of hearing it. And I do, be- I believe it's what you're saying. I believe that when, you know, we are speaking up and saying we need this to be different or whatever, even if it's on a small scale, like those small scales are going to obviously be ripple effects. You know, yeah. it's obviously going to get to the bigger places eventually. Um, but it has to start somewhere. So I don't know if it's starting here, uh, but either way, I'm like happy about what they do here, Mm -hmm. at least with places I've gone. Like, Mm -hmm. it's nice. It's comforting to know that there are doctors who are just so genuinely caring. There are. Um, And I, and I like what you said too, about giving them feedback of when they do things right. And I think, I think so often that's, that doesn't happen. It's like, you only Mm -hmm. give feedback if things go wrong. So like actually helping, you know, reinforce like, yes, you did right. Um, is really, really important. And I know a lot of, um, you know, a lot of medical providers really appreciate because oftentimes the only stuff only comes to them when they do it wrong. Exactly. And that's not, that's not the way to get things to change typically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course it will, but it's not going to be the long lasting positive change. Exactly. Um, 
you know, it's just, that's just not how it works. Nope. And I think, uh, with that, like with all of that, I, 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 I went to a program like seven, six, or seven years ago for, I had really, really bad anxiety. This mm-hmm. was prior to transitioning. Mm-hmm. And it, I left that program after four months. Uh, it was like a three time a week outpatient intensive and it was intense. But after leaving the program, one of the things that they really drill into us to learn and everybody should seriously uh, look into DBT because it's like life skills. It's oh, not yeah. even, you don't need to have something quote, you know, that's affecting mm-hmm. it. It could just be life skills. But one of the things they teach you is that when you want to have things go your way or when you want positivity in a relationship or whatever it is, the way that you handle addressing a problem is they called it, I think they called it like the positivity sandwich. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe that's the name I gave it to. I don't even know at this point, <laughs> yeah. but it was like, you start with a positive example. Yep. So it's like, Dana, I love the way that you speak. I love mm-hmm. the way that you're communicating with us during this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then you would go to a, the negative example. So I don't have a negative example of you, but yeah. you know, let's say yeah. you're talking too quiet. You're talking too quietly. And I'd like, if you could raise your voice a little bit more so I can hear you, mm-hmm. but also I really love how you did this. Yeah. So, so it's like this sandwich of you're still able to convey your negative experience or whatever, or whatever's bothering you, but mm-hmm. you're surrounded in the positivity. So at the end of the conversation, the person is not realizing as much, you know, they're not focusing on the negative and yeah. thinking, wow, that was a really shitty conversation or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it comes off as a more constructive way of addressing the issue. Yeah. And now I know your tricks, Nash. <laughs> I'll be like, I don't want a sandwich. No, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! It, but it, honestly, it's how I try to to do everything in my life. Whether yeah. it's with my partner Blair, whether it's with my friends, like whether it's in a professional situation, because that's it, it speaks to a human's like compassionate level. I think. Definitely. I think you get that compassion more uh, with doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just, I, and that's just my experience. I've seen how it works for me and it works really nicely for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's important to always focus on like the positive when you can, because then you get heard when you have the negative next time. Yeah. You know, definitely. they don't just see you as a complaining jerk or something, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, <laughs> yep. uh, <yeah. laughs> did, did you have any more questions about this? Cause I have one question that I've been like waiting to ask him. <laughs> No, but, but before you do, let me plug my laptop in because it's about to die. Okay. We will survive. So, good. So the question I have been holding on to, yes. um, and if this is not a comfortable topic, obviously, please let me know. Go for it. Uh, so I heard you mention in the beginning when we were talking about your actual beginning of your transition and that you said, one of the things you said was you went into the fall semester in skirts and, and, you know, earrings. And I don't know if you mentioned makeup, but I'm just hearing that yep. as part of it. Yep. <laughs> um, so you went in one, you know, uh, in sort of that, uh, appearance and then you, you ended up this semester in a little bit different appearance. So my first question it's to segue into the bigger one was, is that how you were your whole life? Did you dress that way your whole life more? Mm. Um, I don't like using like the feminine masculine, but did you dress mm. more feminine? Did you present the way that you were identifying at that time? Um, no. So growing up, like I, you know, would, was classified like very, as a tomboy, like very much, you could not get me in a dress. Like once a year I'd have to wear one for Easter and it was a battle, Um, (laughs) you know? And so I know was always dressed in, you know, stereotypically like boys clothing, 
um, did all the boy sports. All my friends were boys. So very, very um, like tomboy masculine all the while growing up. And my parents were totally supportive of it. Um, you know, I, I cut my own hair when I was, I don't know, like four or five and it was short from then on. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, my, I went to Catholic school and, um, my dad basically made them change the dress code. Um, cause I refused to wear the skirt or the jumpers or something. And, you know, he was like, what is, what is the point? Like, so, you know, I just wore the, the pants and shorts and stuff. Um, yeah. So, I was very, very like masculine. Um, when I transferred and entered public school, so I was in private school through seventh grade. You know, in my seventh grade class, there were thirteen of us. We were we were like very close by then. Um, uh, when I transferred and in eighth grade went to public school, like eighth ninth grade were like pretty hard for me um, because. A, a whole new group of friends. I was in public school. I was also like the very gender non-conforming, like, mm. you know, uh, definitely looked like a boy and, every, and but was on the girls basketball team. So like a lot of just social awkwardness. Sure. Um, so had a, definitely a couple kind of more difficult years. I will say like um, from the time I was very young, I could dominate on the basketball court. And so that's kind of how I made friends is I beat all the boys on the basketball court. Nice. So then, you know, got that like measure of like respect. Yeah. Um, but especially like eighth, ninth grade, that's when you're really starting, you know, puberty is in full force. Everybody's like dividing the boys and the girls. It's all very different. And I was like, I have no idea where I fit in. Um, so I saw a counselor around that time who basically kind of advised for when I entered into our high school was only 10th, 11th grade, like at the physical high school because of capacity reasons. Um, oh so when I went to 10th, she basically advised like to uh, try and fit in more, um, okay. which I will say did make my high school experience easier in that regard. Um, you know, I never, I never really faced bullying. I was also like one of the biggest kids, so that always helps. <laughs> but, um, so I didn't face bullying in that way. Um, but I, so I definitely started presenting more femme, um, starting in high school. I grew my hair out. That was the only time there were like three, three, four years or something that I had like long hair. Um, and it, it was helpful um, because then, you know, I fit in better. Uh, but that's also when a lot of like my own internal feelings being like, this doesn't feel right came up. Yep. That's what I was going to yeah. ask you. internally though. How were you feeling? Yeah, not great. Yeah, not great. So I definitely did do, go through like sophomore, junior year, like pretty um, severe depression. Um, just prior to my 17th birthday, I had a couple suicide attempts, you know, was hospitalized um, and had to do a lot of just kind of like internal reflection. Um, that was actually when my parents had brought up, like, you know, when I was, when I was hospitalized, um, you had to do group therapy, like family therapy sessions. And that's when they brought up, well, we think, you know, Dana might be gay. And I was super defensive about that. Um, but then a couple of weeks later I was home and I saw Oprah and that's, uh, there was a special on like trans youth. Yeah. That's like how I came to Really? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That is my story. I was like, I was watching Oprah. Yep. Yep. I was watching Oprah and I went, oh, yeah. Girl. Uh-huh. We got to get that girl on here. Uh-huh. Oprah, we love you. Yep. Seriously. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the point that I figured it out. But I didn't, uh, I didn't say a word to anyone for like four and a half years. 
Um, it was a lot more just like internal processing. You know, there were times when I would do research and there were times when I was like, nope, this isn't true. And I would like throw all that away. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of different process. Um, but so even during that time was much more femme presenting. I had a long-term boyfriend for two and a half years. I lived with him over in Poland, which was where, you know, he was from. So I was like, maybe if I'm in a long-term relationship, like that will make this go away. And it didn't. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So much alike. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Um, so then when I came back from Poland and kind of ended that relationship was when I was like, all right, this has to, uh, has to change. Um, so, and it was that semester that I started back cause I had been living abroad. And so it was that fall, um, that I, you know, I found, I started counseling, um, and really started kind of changing smaller things about my appearance. But once, like once one thing started, I was like domino effect and done. Yeah. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. I think it, I think it's interesting hearing you talk about the, uh, trying to fit in and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I thought that I was the only person, like I here with my own narrative, I felt like I was probably the only like person who was tomboy and presented masculine their whole life, but then did try to also fit in a little bit. Yeah. Because I did like a similar thing when I was like 15, mm-hmm. there were these three boys that all the girls loved. And mm-hmm. so I was like, and I was best friends with them. And so right. I, yeah, I was best friends with them. And I, so I tried to like, okay, well maybe if I look like a girl and I present as a girl, maybe one of them will date me and I'll have friends and I'll stop getting bullied. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. So I I didn't grow my hair because my hair was lost cause at that point. It was (laughs) always going to be short, but Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) I made it a little bit like more feminine looking Mm -hmm. and, you know, changed my clothes to be a little bit more form fitting in a feminine way and borrowed my sister's stuff and Mm -hmm. whatever. And, and, and tried to date like a couple of guys. And it was just, it was, you know, it was like, what am I doing? Yeah. in throughout the entire thing now looking back i realized i it was my way of being like i literally want to be this man yep. i want to be this guy yep. like i don't want to be with him i want to be him mm-hmm. <laughs> and like i just look back on it laughing like i wonder what he thought of me like i wonder yeah. if he was just like this is the weirdest person mm-hmm. like why are they obsessed with me because it wasn't that like romantic obsession it was like this obsession of just please make me you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? uh, totally. Yeah, totally the same. I had a friend growing up that like we looked very similar and I thought I had a mega crush on him. I probably actually still did, but it was yeah. like, I want to be you. Like you are the one that I want to be. And, you know, we were like best friends growing up. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely had that. And I like yeah. in high school, you know, I was... I was six feet by like ninth grade or something like ninth, 10th grade or something. And, you know, pretty athletic. Um, and it feels shitty to say, but like most of that time, everybody's like, Oh, you could be a supermodel. And I fit like I was very gender conforming, um, at that point. Um, that made me so uncomfortable. And for the longest time I couldn't pinpoint why, um, but I just hated people commenting on my looks like hated it because it just felt so like not me. Yeah. Um, it drew too much attention to something that you didn't. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's, that's exactly how I felt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But even, I totally lost my train of no, it's, it's fine. No, but even on the presentation stuff I, I've been thinking about too, like when I first transitioned, like I was much more like kind of on the hyper masculine, like presentation side. Um, okay. and, uh, you know, 
more like baggier clothes, I would say, just like very hyper mask. And I think once I got com- more comfortable with my own, like just my own identity, my own being, like I now have, you know, will dress more effeminately, which is why oftentimes people will just read me as like a cis gay dude. And I'm like, that's fine. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think after, after a while I started to embrace much more of like those feminine aspects of myself because like, because they, they, I didn't, I didn't want to ignore that piece of me. Um, but it's like, I finally got to embrace it in the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I heard another, um, another, uh, trans guy who identifies as gay said something, what you were just saying. He said that he felt more comfortable being, uh, feminine or effeminate as a tra- as somebody who was passing as a man and was gay. Like mm-hmm. he was more comfortable showing those qualities mm-hmm. than just a female presenting person who was fat. Yep. So it's like, it, it sounds like you got more comfortable with those qualities mm-hmm. as you became more comfortable with your identity, which mm-hmm. is something that I can connect to really well. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think that once we get to like that level of comfort with ourselves, uh, those qualities that we were afraid of can come out in a healthier way. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of like when people finally start seeing you for you, no matter what. So it's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter how you present. It's just mm-hmm. like, like physically, you're the same so yeah like mm-hmm. you're just it's a lot more comfortable in general <laughs> yeah totally yeah totally. and even you know having having more fun with like expression through clothing um just once you figure you know i guess once i started you know blending in in the way that i wanted to then being able to experiment with like no i really like bright colors and yeah i'm, right. gonna, I'm gonna wear pink and you know yeah so a bunch of stuff yeah yeah totally mm-hmm. um i remember what i was gonna ask you uh you were talking about before transitioning that you dated cis men before transitioning also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's like this common, uh, I don't want to say misconception, but like this common uh, thing that comes around and that when you transition from female to male and you're taking testosterone, that there's this prevalence of being more attracted to other men. Mm. Be- and, and I hear people saying it's because of the hormones or something like that. Mm. And so I, I'm, I think it's interesting to hear you say that you were, you stayed attracted to the same type of people mm-hmm. throughout from before transitioning and after. Yeah. Um, is that, is that accurate? Um, yeah, it, it definitely is accurate. And I think, uh, I think too, with the transition is like, I freed myself more to, to let myself feel attracted to yes. other types of people. Yes. Um, cause I, like I recognize now that there were times growing up when I, when I, I definitely felt attracted to like, say other, like, you know, girls on my basketball team, um, or something like that. But right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even acknowledge that as being like an attraction or something, but, right. but trans- transitioning was very freeing in a lot of ways in terms of sexual orientation, um, to just let myself, you know, kind of yeah. understand who I was attracted to and, and, right. you know, yeah, go with it. Yeah, no, I love that. I think it does really like the transition really does free us up for so mm-hmm. much uh, po- like positive exploration mm-hmm. and really understanding who we are. Mm-hmm. Because when you have that comfort of just being more comfortable with your body and your identity, mm-hmm. you know, you can focus on other things. Mm-hmm. You don't need to focus on that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. now now it's a little bit different though because you know now when I when my boyfriend and I go out in public, we look like a like a gay couple, right. and so there is that piece of 
just by holding hands, we're basically outing ourselves in some way. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I know even like my mom, he came home with me at Christmas time and that's something a little bit new for her, um, sure. was just like her for herself getting comfortable with that, you know, as we're, as we're, as we're just all like spending time together. It's like right. phenotypically we're, you know, like a gay male couple. Right. Do you ever different. feel like a little bit more uh, unsafe with public affection because of that? Because it's like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are like pretty violent toward gay men, mm-hmm. like other men specifically. So do you ever feel like, oh shit, like I don't know how to fight you? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I would be like more aware of that. I, guess. I definitely am more aware of it. Um, and there are certain situations where, you know, I'm not, there's not going to be like PDA really, um, just because of that fact. Um, yeah. So I am definitely much more aware of that now um, than I ever was before, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Guess it comes with the territory, right? <laughs> it kind of does come with the territory. Yeah. Um, Which is unfortunate. Like it should not have to be that way, but yeah, you know. These yeah. are the struggles we have, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so like when I, you know, going home to Nevada, I was like, man, maybe we're not going to hold hands as we walk around. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I've never had like negative experiences there, but just really depends on the context. Right, right. And I, I imagine you have to find, you have to have a level of comfort in the area in mm-hmm. order to let your guard down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, fe- I felt that as a, a lesbian identifying mm-hmm. female. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I was always... Uh, on alert of like, you know, am I holding my girlfriend's hand in front of somebody mm-hmm. like that I shouldn't be? Um, so, but I think it's way more extreme when it comes to, to gay men or, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Cody, did you have other questions? Um, I think that's it. I know. I <laughs> okay. feel like we covered, we covered a lot of really good stuff. We covered a lot of ground. I know. So much ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else that you want to share? Um, otherwise, I have one final thing. One uh, final I don't think so. What's okay, your question? My final question is, <laughs> can you share a fun fact about yourself with us and the people listening? Oh, man. I know. You gave us so many fun facts throughout the whole thing. But yeah. Maybe. Um, so I like, to, I like to say it doesn't need to be trans-related because mm-hmm. I think that we obviously are focusing on trans topics here. So if you want to share a fun fact not trans-related, let's hear it. <laughs> Fun fact, not trans-related. I guess one of the fun facts, uh, I trained service dogs for like 10 years. uh, And that I think as much as transition was shaping of who I am, that also was as shaping of who I am today. Um, Just in terms of like I... So I feel like my dogs transitioned with me as much as anybody else because <laughs> um, I started raising when I was 16 and then up until I moved to Boston. So one of my, one of my dogs, poor Franco, man, he went from having a mom to having a dad like, oh. like that. And so he went through it with me. But just um, I think that was super helpful. Um, a lot of the times, even if like my own anxiety, other stuff that was happening, like I could at least like channel a lot of like my energy yeah. into training the dog so that's always i feel like that's always kind of a fun fact yeah i yeah. love that that's yeah. really great yeah and i think animals are such beautiful beautiful creatures for stuff like that because totally. they're so resilient mm-hmm. and you know you can you can channel your energy into them mm-hmm. and they can handle it because they're they're very resilient that way mm-hmm. for sure yeah um and now i might have to 
contact you to help me with my dogs. <laughs> That's what everybody says, and I'm like, oh, I don't know how good I am, but yeah. <laughs> no, mine are, mine are great. They're just very excitable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <Mine> yeah. <laughs> I don't have one right now, and it's like oh. it's devastating. Oh. I know. Maybe soon. I know. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, well, that was my last question. Unless cool. there's anything else that you want to share or put out there, or I don't know. No. No, that was fun. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Transitional Wisdom Podcast. If you feel like you'd like to share your story or share a topic that you would like to hear about, feel free to email us at nash at transitionalwisdom.org or visit our website and submit your story at www.transitionalwisdom.org. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any more episodes, and we will see you next time. Oh